It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. In the last episode, I said that according to Sir Fred Hoyle's analysis in the intelligent universe, the probability of cellular life arising from non-living matter was 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Hoyle declares this probability is no greater than the probability that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard would assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials contained therein. But Dawkins misinterpreted Hoyle's argument as denying the existence of God. Rather, what Hoyle's probability calculation actually concludes is that spontaneous generation of life does not occur. Instead of denying God's existence, Hoyle's argument denies one of evolution's foundational tenets namely spontaneous generation of life. In baseball parlance, Hoyle's argument is strike one against Dawkins' Boeing 747 gambit. We've been talking about the design argument for the existence of God using the fine-tuning of physical constants at the Big Bang that began the universe. So you might ask, what precisely is meant by fine-tuning? In order to understand that, I need to review some history. I learned what I am telling you from several sources, but the main one was the book, What's So Great About Christianity, by Dinesh D'Souza. Copernicus formulated a model of the universe that placed the sun rather than the earth at its center. Thus the earth revolved around the sun rather than the reverse possibility. The conventional wisdom has been that this Copernican model caused a scientific revolution. And this revolution was understood as having implied the principle of mediocrity. This was the principle that simply says that we humans are nothing special. We inhabit a tiny planet in a relatively undistinguished galaxy in a distant suburb of an unimaginably vast universe. This principle had profound theological implications, and atheists jumped on the bandwagon of opposition to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam because those religions taught that human beings have a privileged status in God's creation. In the view of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the universe was made with humanity in mind, perhaps even for our sake. 
In his book, God, the Failed Hypothesis, physicist Victor Stinger comes to the contrary conclusion distinct from the theist view. He writes, It is hard to conclude that the universe was created with a special cosmic purpose for humanity. Physicist Steven Weinberg similarly writes, The human race has had to grow up a good deal in the last 500 years to confront the fact that we humans just don't count for much in the grand scheme of things. Astronomer and host of the former TV series Cosmos, Carl Sagan invokes the Copernican principle of mediocrity to challenge our posturing, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe. Although these statements are not scientific statements, they are nevertheless promoted under the guise of the full authority of science. What we have here is a metaphysical narrative about science that shapes the way many scientists approach the world and the way in which our culture understands that science has demonstrated. How can the traditional beliefs of the theist be reconciled with the apparent discovery that we live in a vast universe with other planets, innumerable other galaxies, and hundreds of billions of stars? When we look through a telescope, we feel the eerie emptiness of space. And along with that empty feeling comes the hint that the cosmos is alienated against us. It's hard to avoid the question, if humanity is so central to God's purposes, why do we live in such a marginal speck of real estate in such a vast, indifferent universe? Sometime around the middle of the 20th century, physics has given this question a resounding answer that overthrows the principle of mediocrity and restored humanity to its special place in the cosmos. It turns out that the vast size and great age of our universe are not accidental. They are indispensable conditions for the existence of life on Earth. The entire universe, with all its physical laws, appear to be a purposeful conspiracy to produce people like you and me. Physicists call this incredible observation the anthropic principle. It states that the universe must be precisely such a nature that will make living beings possible. Physicists stumbled upon the anthropic principle by asking a simple question. Why does the universe operate according to the laws it does? Think about it. The universe seems to follow a very specific set of rules, and yet it seems it didn't have to follow these rules. So why these rules and not some other rules? 
The forces of gravity, for example, operate in ways that can be measured. The universe is approximately 13.7 billion years old and at least 13.7 billion light years in size. What would have happened if the universe was much older and bigger or much younger and smaller in size? The physicist who asked these questions arrived at a remarkable conclusion. In order for life to exist, the gravitational force had to be precisely what it is, and the Big Bang had to occur exactly when it did. Besides that, if the basic values and relationships of nature were even slightly different, our universe would not exist, and neither would we. The universe seems to be for human habitation. We live in a Goldilocks universe, and like the baby bear's porridge, the conditions are just right for life to emerge and not just survive, but thrive. The anthropic principle is now widely accepted by the physics community. And there are some engaging books that explain it in great detail. The book, The Anthropic Cosmological Principle by John Barrow and Frank Tipler gives a thorough exposition. A shorter version is Martin Rees's Just Six Numbers. Rees argues that six numbers underlie the fundamental physical properties of the universe and that each is an exact value required for life to exist. If any of the six were different, even to the tiniest degree, Reese says, there would be no stars, no complex elements, no life. Reese calls the values to the six numbers providential. As the agnostic physicist Paul Davis puts it, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. For 40 years, physicists and cosmologists have been quietly collecting examples of all too convenient coincidences and special features in the underlying laws of the universe that seem to be necessary in order for life and hence conscious beings to exist. Change any one of them, and the consequences would be lethal. Fred Hoyle, the distinguished cosmologist, once said it was as if a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics. To see the problem, imagine playing God with the cosmos. Before you is a designer machine that lets you tinker with the basics of physics. Twill this knob and you make all electrons a bit lighter. Twiddle that one and you make gravity a bit stronger, and so on. It happens that you need to set 30-something knobs to fully describe the world about us. The crucial point is, 
that so many of those metaphorical knobs must be tuned very precisely or the universe would be sterile. Example, neutrons are just a tad heavier than protons. If it were the other way around, atoms couldn't exist because all the protons in the universe would have decayed into neutrons shortly after the Big Bang. No protons, then no atomic nucleuses, and no atoms. No atoms, no chemistry, no life. Astronomer Lee Smolin asked, what is the probability that this random twiddling would result in a universe with stars and planets and life? The probability, he answers, is incredibly small. How small? Smolin's estimate is 1 in 10 to the 229th power. The famous physicist Stephen Hawking estimates that if the expansion of the universe was altered by one part in 10 to the 17th power, one second after the Big Bang, the universe would have either collapsed back on itself or never developed galaxies. That expansion rate was simply put in at the beginning of the universe. Thus, no evolutionary process can account for it. Now I want to employ not only Lee Smolin's number and Stephen Hawkins' number, but also Roger Penrose's number and Douglas Axe's number as a quadruple whammy to obtain strike two against Richard Dawkins' Boeing 747 gambit. Roger Penrose, one of the recipients of the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2018, determined a measure of the fine-tuning of the initial arrangement of matter and energy at the beginning of the universe. He showed that there were 10 to the 10 to the 101th power configurations of mass energy that correspond to highly ordered universes like ours. But he also showed that there are vastly more configurations, 10 to the 10 to the 123rd power, that would generate black hole-dominated universes. Black holes is the structure with the highest known disorder, or as physicists would say, entropy. And since 10 to the 10 to the 101st power is a minuscule fraction of 10 to the 10 to the 123rd power, Penrose concluded that the conditions that could generate a life-friendly universe are extremely rare in comparison to the total number of possible configurations that could have existed at the beginning of the universe. Penrose's calculation suggests an incredibly improbable initial fine-tuning arrangement of mass energy. So Penrose's number supports the fine-tuning of the universe and thus indirectly supports the design argument. That initial arrangement of matter and energy occurred at the beginning of the universe. Thus, there is no evolutionary process like natural selection that can account for it. This blows a hole in Dawkins' assertion.
quotes, far from pointing to a designer, the illusion of design in the living world is explained by Darwinian natural selection. Moreover, Penrose's number does not support Dawkins' attempt at rebutting the design argument. Many other aspects of physical reality are incomprehensibly fine-tuned for the existence of a life-bearing universe. For example, if the gravitational force were different by one part in 10 to the 40th power, our sun would not exist, and neither would we. See the interview with Robin Collins that Lee Strobel records in his book, The Case for Creator, pages 131 and 132. I want to finish this episode by speaking to the Christians in my audience. For those who come behind us, they say we were found faithful to the calling of Christ. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.